We have uh, launched a little mini-series prior to what our summer series is going to be, and I'm really excited about the summer series. I have some guest speakers that will be coming up with us uh, during the summer. We're going to be examining the parables, but we wanted to get us past uh, Father's Day before we kicked that off, and I feel like <laughs> we're barely doing a little bit of justice, but we're hitting some high points in Exodus, and this uh, message, boy, last week, great service. And a great move of God, and I believe that, it, that God is starting something here that is going to carry us through. I was telling you my excitement and enthusiasm about this year's uh, God Talks. And uh, last week, and, and talking with another minister, I was like, he's copying me. You know, he's doing the same thing. I hadn't even told him yet what, what God had laid on my heart. But it seems like, and we had a chance to go this past week and meet with a bunch of pastors. And I'm hearing the same things. God is dealing with pastors, a fear of the Lord falling on the community. And uh, when I say fear of the Lord, people aren't trembling and hiding underneath bushes, but there's a, there is a deep reverence and respect for God and His Word that is beginning to fall on the community of faith. And people are believing for some mighty things. As we lead into God Talks, we're going to lead you through a seven-day uh, fasting. We'll break that fast on Sunday. All have breakfast together. Join here, and uh, we will kick off the week after that with uh, the God Talks. It is um, going to be a, a three-day uh, event, and we have a guest speaker for that. My brother Todd is coming down. He's going to open the Sunday morning service, uh, then Sunday night, then Monday night, and Tuesday night. You guys have never been to that much church, but we're going to invite you to get here, okay, because it's going to be great, and no matter what your calendar looks like, uh, you know, scratch it and, and rearrange it and, and put that in for our convocation. It'll be a great time. We're calling ourselves uh, to repentance, uh, to uh, opening up to what God wants to accomplish through this season of God Talks. It's going to be an exciting time. I'm saying too much about it now, but we'll talk more about it later. Hello, people online. We're glad you're here. You're able to join us. We're going to ask you and those who are here on campus uh, to stand with us for the reading of God's Word. We're jumping to Exodus chapter 20, the 20th chapter. Last week, we looked at Exodus uh, chapter 3, and we saw Moses standing in the presence of God and taking time to allow God to do a, a tremendous work in him. There is an exodus uh, of, from bondage and, and, and an exodus from uh, mindsets and, and the, the boundness of sin that God wants to lead us through. And that's what this mini-series is really all about. And so we're going to hit these high points. And uh, Exodus chapter 20, of course, you may remember, is the, the unfolding of the Ten Commandments. And so we're only going to focus on just one key commandment for our Exodus and I think you're going to be surprised at how pivotal it is in our walk. Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. You shall not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or the earth beneath or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Father, we're grateful for your word, and we ask God that you would, would continue what you started last week as we gathered in terms of what you're doing transformationally in our hearts and lives.
God, open our hearts and minds to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church in this hour and what you are saying to us individually and calling us into. And we want to obey you, cause us to obey you and to follow every command. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you're seated. The first commandment that God gave, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. The first commandment deals with the object of worship. Forbidding us to worship any false god. The second commandment deals with the manner of our worship. Forbidding us to worship the true God in any unworthy way. You might say it this way, it's not enough to worship the correct God, but God must be worshipped correctly. It is not enough to worship the correct God, but God must be worshipped correctly. And when we come to consider this, we come face to face with the whole issue of idolatry and, and how it really is born in the life. Many of us would want to skip commandment two, thinking that if we got the first one correct, we're, we're right on, and, and we certainly wouldn't get the second one incorrect. I think it might be in for a bit of a surprise as we navigate through this passage and look at what it really is saying to us. We, are, we content ourselves with the fact that you know, we don't have any graven images uh, in our homes. We, we haven't been dancing around any religious totem poles lately. And, and uh, presumably then, we're not in violation of this command. And we often hear people say something along this line, though. And maybe you have been one of them, where you said, I like to think of God as. I like to think of God as. And they, and they add then uh, whatever they would like to add behind that. And they think because they have prefaced it by just saying, I like to think of God as, that somehow it justifies whatever they like to think of God as. You know, I like to think of God as the heavenly architect. I like to think of God as the great timekeeper. I like to think of God as a loving father. Always loving and overlooking everything in my life. And when they use the word just, they're saying, uh, you know, I, I like to think of God in, in this way. I don't like to think of him in that way, in another way. As, uh, and, and so they think by qualifying it with just, they're conceding of him uh, in their minds. They can create him in a way that they want to worship him. It's as if he can be made in the image of our imagination, somehow. We're dealing today with a great deal across uh, the church world and across our nation of biblical ignorance. That is alarming, really. And it's not just outside the walls of the church, it's within the church as well. I grew up going to Sunday school, some of you may have as well, and we had celebrated graduates uh, from high school 
uh, a few weeks ago, and you might be discouraged to learn that if you were ever in Sunday school, you never graduate. 70-year-old people <laughs> were still in Sunday school uh, at my church. And, and not because they were being held back or because the... Uh, but, but, you know, because the Word of God is inexhaustible, and they were always learning something new, they were always breaking new ground, they were always uh, advancing in their walk with the Lord, as they were both engaging their hearts and their mind to the Word of God, and seeing how it was applicable to them personally. If... We'd lived in the 16th century. You and I had been born into the 16th century. We, we wouldn't have been able to get off as easily as we have today uh, with, uh, as, as fellow believers and Christians with respect to um, you know, our catechism in the Word of God. We would have been introduced at a young age to the Heidelberg Catechism, and uh, we would have been set down by moms and dads uh, every day, during the course of the week, and have regularly been drilled with the following questions, and this is actually uh, in the Catechism, uh, Heidelberg Catechism, it's uh, 96, question number 96. <laughs> How would you like to have been a child in the 16th century? How many more questions are there? <laughs> this is number 96. We're on number 96, and the question number 96 is, the parents would ask, what is God's will for us in the second commandment? What is God's will for us in the second commandment. And the children would answer that we in no way make any image of God nor worship him in any other way than he has commanded in his word. Then question number 97. <laughs> May we then not make any image at all, the parents would ask, and the children would answer, God cannot and may not be visibly portrayed in any way. Although creatures may be portrayed, yet God forbids making or having such images in one's intention is, if one's intention is to worship them or to serve God through them. I want to ask three questions about the second commandment that I want us to answer together as we walk through God's Word. First of all, what is the commandment saying? Secondly, why is the commandment important? And then lastly, how is the commandment essentially applied to our relationship with God? So first, what is the commandment uh, saying? And secondly, why is the commandment important? And then thirdly, let's apply it to our relationship and walk with God. So let's start with the first one. What is this commandment saying to us? From the first commandment, we learn that God is interested in only one kind of relationship uh, with us. And that relationship, namely, is an exclusive relationship, right? A, a relationship in which we are encountering no other God, and no one else we're looking to to be in his place. It is an exclusive relationship between us and God. But then he goes on to say in the, in the uh, second commandment to tell us that God alone is to be worshipped without any visual symbols of himself in accordance with how he has revealed himself. Now this is, this is very, very important for us to understand because 
we can be successful, as I said before, with number one and fail miserably with number two. We can be successful in identifying the correct God, but unsuccessful in worshiping God correctly. Now, if you, if you got your Bibles still open and you have them with you, uh, you might want to turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 10. 2 Kings chapter 10. There we have the story of a king of Israel, Jehu, and uh, his destruction of the Baals. These were um, idols that were, were of other nations, and as Israel kind of uh, began to get intermixed with these other nations, they, they not only uh, learned from their archaeology and, and uh, you know, uh, how they, foods they ate and things like that, but they went ahead and accepted, in, in some cases, their gods. And so we have uh, uh, Israel, who knows the one true God, worshiping uh, a false god. So they're violating the first commandment. And, uh, and Jehu learns of this as the king, and uh, uh, that these people were worshiping Baal, and they had built a temple to Baal, and, and so he gets uh, fiery, he gets upset, and so he's not pleased with that. And, and so in 2 Kings 10 and 26, uh, you'll find, you can read there, that they brought the sacred stone out of the temple of Baal and burned it. This is Jehu leading them to the destruction of, of this temple to Baal. And they demolished the sacred stone of Baal and tore down the temple of Baal. And, and this is interesting. And people have used it for a latrine to this day. <laughs> it's, it's a kind of graphic picture for us. Uh, one minute it's a focus of worship, and the next minute it's the focus of something other than that, right? Uh, he, he was concerned that they were worshiping the wrong God. Jehu was. He didn't want them worshiping the wrong God. And so he wanted them to make sure that they, that they would worship the right God, and, and so far so good, right? So he tears down and he gets their attention, and he says, we're only going to worship the real God. But if you follow along in the story, you find the beginning uh, down in verse 28 and 29, it says, So Jehu destroyed Baal worship in Israel. However, he did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit, namely the worship of golden calves at Bethel and Dan. In other words, he was clear that they were only to worship the true God who, who alone was to be worshipped. And he was, he was correct in that. But then he fouled up by assuming that the true God could be worshipped incorrectly. That he could hang on to some things that would be symbolic. Uh, that, that, that they could go ahead and, and keep those things in, in, involved in their worship. And, and, and so he, he left these pagan shrines. You're going to worship the true God, but here's how you're going to worship him through these pagan shrines. And you see, we need to understand that idolatry consists not only of uh, in, the, in the worship of false gods, but in the worship of the true God in false ways. Yeah. Worshiping the true God in false ways. And so there we have it in terms of why is this important. Now, why, why is this, this commandment important to us, or we're, we're leaning into why it's important? We want to understand the, the principle of it, the basis of it. Now we want to get into why, why is it important for us? Why do we need to understand it? Let me just say two things about this commandment. It's, it's important, first of all, because images dishonor God, and secondly, 
because images misdirect men. Images dishonor God and images misdirect men. So it's, it's dangerous to violate this command because, number one, it's going to put us on the wrong course and it's going to lead us away from God rather than worshiping the one true God the way that he's called us to worship him. But then in doing so, we are also sending signals out to everyone on our planet that it's okay to worship God this way. You can be a Christian and. You can walk with God and. You can live a life for God and hang on to other things that God has forbidden. I was thinking this time, you know, this week, I told Michelle, I said, do you remember that time that, you know, I really wanted to do something that God didn't want me to do? And I was very unhappy because God didn't want me to do it. And so God came down and changed his word so I could do it. Do you remember that? <laughs> A lot of people are remembering it. I don't. And I can tell you there are a lot of things about God's word that cut to the marrow of the bone for me. They're hard to hear. I can never get up here and preach a message that hasn't first been preached to the preacher. And it's, it, it, you know, someone had asked me one time, we were talking as pastors, you know, there, there is, uh, you know, an um, element of pride and ego that can kind of slip in and guarding against that. And, and, and I was like, every once in a while, God just pulls the rug out from under me, you know? Just <laughs> like, do you remember how much you need me? Do you remember how desperate you are for me? And, and I may go through a season over the course of the week as I'm hammering a sermon out of remembering how I violated things that God is calling me to talk about. And, and spending quality time just on my knees saying, God, I thank you that you're making me a different person, but I am so sorry for how I did this and how, how I did not take into account how damaging it would be, not only to me personally or family or whatever was engaged, but how other people in the world would see this and think that I, as a leader growing up in, in, in ministry or as a pastor's kid, you know, was were telling them a different message than the scripture was. Hey, you can be a Christian and... Hang on to something else. Let's spend a moment on um, that first one for a little bit. The real problem with, with statues, with shrines, with pictures or anything like that is, is not that they don't look good or our imaginations about uh, what God might be. Not that it doesn't look good, but that it will never capture who God is. Someone asked me early in my ministry, you know, uh, how can I know God? And this is a lifelong process. Welcome to it. And I, I've often like tried to explain it like uh, this wall over here, a giant wall and uh, a paint by number set. I hated those. I used to get those for birthday presents when I was nine or something because I'm no good. Like I dip into the paint and it's, it's all red now. Everything is. It's like I cannot do the fine lines that people do. And so they always have these little tiny little boxes, right? And, and if you think about the paint by number set for God, and you, you're going to paint in his mercy, you know? There's people that never get beyond that. That's just, 
There he is. God's full of mercy. You better paint his justice. <laughs> he's a just God, too. You better paint that he's a jealous God. Yeah, you need to get that in there. And so all of those numbers you need to paint as well. So we say to ourselves, well, I think that God is a certain way, and my imagination is, is very important to me, and, and the way I think of God is very important. There's a great danger in that, loved ones. He has revealed himself in creative order. He has revealed himself in the written word. And he has revealed himself fully in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And we are to look no other place, nor create any other thing that would divert us from that pathway, that pathway of his revelation. The temptation to worship the God we want rather than the God that is, leads us into idolatry. The God of our imaginations is an idol, and he's not worthy of worship. John chapter 4, 24 says, For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit. You know this. Must Say it with me. Must worship him in spirit and in truth. Not an image and imagination, but in spirit and in truth. And the problem is that when we begin wrong with worship, we end wrong in our lives in worship. We end up in the wrong temple. It's quiet in here, isn't it? <laughs> Secondly, they, they, they create the potential for misdirecting men, misdirecting others that are around us. If... Yes, a good study in, in uh, carefully looking at Exodus chapter 32, which we will uh, take apart uh, more next week. Uh, you see the, the case for this. They created a calf. Um, as soon as they began to, to worship the calf, though, and this is so important for us to understand. Okay, so they created a way to worship. Moses is up here, thundering and lightnings going on, and the Ten Commandments, you know, You've seen the movie, right? And you know, so that's exactly how it was, right? <laughs> Thou shalt not steal. <laughs> you know, it was probably noisy. Uh, there was probably some things going on, signs and wonders. Moses is up there 40 days, and the people grow weary, and um, they, they want, uh, you know, a pathway to worship. And so, you know, later... Aaron will tell how this happened. We took all the gold and we threw it in the fire and a calf jumped out. I said, have you ever tried that? Let's, let's give it a shot and see if that'll happen. We're gathering gold next week. We're going to toss it in the fire and see if a calf jumps out. Um, but what happened here is crucial to understand because they got into to all kinds of pagan practices immediately when they began to worship incorrectly, Right? This had never been a part. What was going on around there, and, and it is depicted in some manner in that movie, Cecil B. DeMille's movie, The Ten Commandments. But you can't even imagine what scripture, how Scripture is painting this out. The, the people laying themselves out, prostrate, uh, naked, dancing around this calf, doing things they would have never done, were never a part of worship to God. But immediately when they begin to worship God incorrectly... They're taking on pagan practices, and they're moving as far away from God as you possibly can. They have set themselves up a new God. 
And that's why this second commandment is so vital. Not just worshiping God, but worshiping God correctly. How one generation conceives of God has implications on the generations that follow. And it's talked about in this passage that it goes on for generations, that it's set up immediately after we start false worship and everything else, you know, if, if, if this is what it means to be a Christian and you accept this and that and everything else, then every succeeding generation behind that, all the children watching and participating and everyone who's, who's a part of that begins in those generations to live this out and to think this is the way. Walk in it. When a culture, um, when a society, when a people begin to devalue God and exalt humanity, they begin to devalue deity and, and exalt the creations of men, then that culture is in deep trouble, and we are living in that culture today. And Listen to what the Bible says about it. And, uh, this is a whole other message, but Romans chapter 1, verse 21, just to set us up. And what I would encourage you to do is to, to highlight that, I would like you to read all the way through the rest of that passage to see what happens when false worship begins. It says, it begins by saying in verse 121, men, although they knew God, didn't glorify Him as God. They didn't give thanks to Him. All right, so they got up in the morning, they went about their, their uh, daily duties and, and as if they had made everything and everything was made for them. And and uh, they, they got up in, in the morning and they didn't give God any thanks for it. None. Uh, they they uh, sat down at the table to partake of food and, and they didn't think to thank God for it. They, they never bowed their heads to, to give Him uh, any kind of honor or praise for what they had. Why? Because they, they didn't actually believe God gave them those things. They, they began to believe they did it. Uh, they brought it into, you know, I can bring home the bacon. <laughs> oh, no, 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 you know. I mean, they, they believed it. They believed they were the ones that had provided for themselves. They don't get up in the morning and thank God for their health and their strength. They, they think that they just have health and strength. My feet don't hit the floor, especially the older I get. My feet don't hit the floor. I don't say, thank God I can walk today. <laughs> you know, thank God, you know, there isn't any plantar fasciitis or whatever is going on. Whew, I can... I can Thank God there's no dizziness. I'm not tipping right or left, you know. You get more appreciative with age, I can tell you that. And, and you know, but every day, thanking God for, for the breath of life, for everything that we have. And it says that this, is, this was the beginning of it. And as you read on through uh, the rest of that, that passage, it begins to show the decline of what was going on. And how God just says, well, I'm going to turn you over. If you think you've done it, I'm going to turn you over to yourselves. And then you start seeing in society everything we're seeing today because people rejected God and did not thank Him or honor Him as God. They didn't worship Him. So how, finally, how does this commandment apply to our relationship with God? Well, He says, I'm a jealous God. And... I won't share you with anyone. So first of all, it applies to us in the sense of God's a jealous God. Don't put anything in front of him. This whole God first thing is, is not an option for you as a Christian. We need to be living it out God first. Michelle was talking this morning about our kids and they were being drugged from pillar to post, you know. And 
But you know, they, they've loved their life. We talked with them about it. They, they really did enjoy, you know, what God did. And they saw some really incredible things as a result of hanging out with their parents uh, in environments where God was really moving and doing some incredible things. They got to witness healing. They got to witness miracles. I think the greatest miracle that uh, we ever get to witness is salvation, man. And we saw it over and over and over again. You know, we saw people that were suicidal, that, you know, we, we began to take in as family that were, were struggling and having difficulties, and, and God did miraculous things. And we had a short season in Vegas where we were not in a pulpit and uh, not in a place of ministry. And, uh, you know, if you ever wonder, like, is my, you know, am I really called to do this or could I do something else? And I became a small uh, business owner for uh, a season, and it was planned out. It was something that... Uh, you know, I think was, uh, God had uh, led us in, but it was a season where I was—I didn't have uh, a ministry. We were going to church, and serving God, and stuff like that. You know what? You know what? My store turned into uh, the cash wrap was was an altar. <laughs> if you ever question, like, are you called to be a pastor? There was an anointing that, that God put on me, a calling that God put on me, that people would come out, uh, you know, of the parking lot into the store. We would begin to have conversations. And, and in a matter of time, we're praying together. We're talking about God. And, you know, I, I went home telling Michelle, I was like, if I, if I ever had any doubts as to whether I was called to be a pastor, I, I have a church. <laughs> it's a small business. <laughs> it's down the street. And uh, often that just turns into, like, prayer and stuff like that. You know, one of the things that people could do in that, uh, that small business, and this is years ago before everybody had a lot of easy Internet access, and so was come in and get on the Internet, you know, and, and access that. That was one of the pieces of the business. And, and often conversations there, because somebody's hanging out, you know, and, and uh, so they get to talk, and, and you get the chance to talk to them about Jesus. Michelle's uh, place of work that she uh, has served in, you know, for so many years, so many came to know Christ. And there, were, there came a point in our home church, I remember we, we went, we would go to church on Saturday night. We had a n- number of services, Saturday, an early Saturday uh, a six o'clock service, that's the one we went to. Four o'clock, I think, on Saturday, six o'clock on Saturday. Then there was one at nine, uh, no, seven, was it? Seven, eight, eight, nine, and, and 11, 9.30. Eight, nine thirty, and 11, I think is what it was. And um, so there was a time where, you know, uh, <laughs> we came in, in in this large uh, building, and I looked and I said, there's, there's 24 seats here that have been filled up by people that we have relationships with that are uh, at various places with encountering God. Uh, one of the great regrets I had was we, we went home for, for a Thanksgiving celebration back to Arizona, and that was the particular Sunday that one of the girls we were working with came forward and gave her heart to Christ. I was like, why couldn't I have been there? You know, It was like she went all, without us being there, She went and she walked, all the, walked the aisle and gave her heart to Christ and, and made him Lord and leader of her life. Amazing, amazing things. If you ever... Doubt your call. God can reveal and show you. He's a jealous God. And he won't share us with anyone. And then secondly, it's we, we understand applicably here that he says, I'm a just God. And he says, if you're sin against me, if you sin against me and turn your back on me, then there will be punishment which will go through the generations. The sins of 50 years ago manifest today in our culture in some respects 
bad decisions of yesterday uh, uh, that, that we, we are living with today. The sins of today that get passed on to the children, the grandchildren, and, and it causes effect. I am living under an umbrella of blessing. There was a course correction in my family. It started with my aunt who gave her heart to Christ, led my, my grandmother to Christ. They both brought my dad to know Jesus, and it course-corrected. I could tell you where we were and where we were heading, and my life would have been completely different if Jesus hadn't met my dad at a little church in Odessa, Texas. I mean, I was on a, tra- I was, I was on a trajectory for, for uh, alcohol abuse. I was on a trajectory for, uh, you know, for, for a horrible life, but it was course-corrected. When they met Jesus. And they loved on him. He says, I'm a gracious God. That's the third one there. I show love to thousands of generations of those who love me and those who keep my commandments. He declares uh, the mercy of those that follow after him. If you have become or come to worship him and and worship the, the one true God, then we must worship him the way he wants to be worshiped. He longs to reveal himself to each one of us because you and I are the objects of his affection. And how can you know God then? How can you know who he is and how to worship him? He reveals himself through his word. We need to have daily time reading God's word because he reveals himself there. He shows himself through his word. Through his creation, as we go out and look at the wonder and the majesty of what's taking place Something from nothing, (laughs) the scientists have found. There was nothing in the beginning, and boom, there's something, and none of us can create a rose or a a daisy or a weed, for that matter. But God has, you know, uh, populated this planet. He's done some amazing things here, and we can see the wonders of the grandeur of a great God as we look through the creation. We can see God and uh, revealed through his body, through the body of Christ. The love that we have for one another, caring for one another, affection that we show for one another, the fact that we're there for one another and, and uh, pick up you know, the slack and, and help each other along the way. We see the beauty of, of, of God through God's family. We also see God through the Holy Spirit. He's the great teacher. And when you, when you ask him to be the Lord and the leader of your life, it says the Holy Spirit comes and, and becomes the teacher. And you need to empower him on a daily basis to teach you. Teach me who God is. Teach me your ways, O Lord, the psalmist David said. I want to know who you are. 